Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this place. Thanks for um, this space that you've given us to worship and praise you and experience you and be grown in you and grow to know more about you. We don't want to walk out of here the same way we walked in. We want more of you um, in our minds, but especially in our hearts. So would you just come and press yourself as, as the Father who loves us, as the Savior who died for us, as the Spirit that teaches us. We invite you, every one of us in this, you guys got to be like engaged. I invite you to come into me and speak to me truth and um, transform me by the power of your word and transform me by your love, your, your love that is so great for me, I can't even get my mind around it. So we just say, come, own this next uh, 40 minutes or so, and let your will be done. May we not be distracted by anything, but be attuned uh, in unity to what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys, you guys just passed your 100th day of school this week, which means you're way past the halfway mark, so give it up for yourselves. I know you guys have been working hard. I get lots of prayer requests for school, and that's totally appropriate. How are you guys doing in school? Anybody having a tough time on any subjects, or anybody just doing awesome? What do you got? Ben, what are you struggling with? World history? Man, history's fun, though. Come on, Ben. You can do better. You can do better. Science is the devil, my friend. What do you got? Who else? Anybody doing well, struggling? Wait, you're doing good or bad? A little bit of both. Yeah, I know how that feels. What do you got, Kim? World geography? I had a hard time with that because there's math, right, in geography. What's up with that? Liam, you doing good or bad? Terrible? Attaboy. Pray for Liam. Chemistry? He's horrible. He's an embarrassment. What do you got? Physics. Oh, they're like, like the offspring of Satan. That's like, oh, gross, disgusting. Everything. Sydney's struggling with everything, you guys. Lincoln. I don't care. I want to hear what you're struggling with. No, Lincoln, I'm glad you liked your psychology class, but hey, remember, Jesus first, okay? All right, you guys, you're, you're past the halfway mark, but you still got a lot of school, a lot of educational knowledge and training to go, but um, I'm proud of you guys. You're doing good. You're doing good, and I'm, I'm extremely proud of you for how good you're doing here in this place, in your student ministry, not just freedom, but like today even, just being in the back of the room and watching you guys worship. Bradley, you know, I know your, your ankles hurt, right? But like Bradley's just back there just like doing some crazy dancing, but just fully engaged in worshiping Jesus. And you guys, one, there's freedom to do that here. But two, yes, be all in with your school studies, preparing for what God has for you, but especially here. And I just want to say to you, you're doing awesome. You're doing great. I, I think about you all throughout the day, all throughout the week, and how proud I am to, to not like be the leader of this, but like to, to just watch you guys do what you do. And people come up and they're like, you're, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, it's them. It's him. You guys are doing great. I think about you so much that I actually, I, I wake up sometimes. You, anybody wake up in the middle of the night and you're like kind of just toss and turn and then you go back to sleep. Or you wake up and you got like some creepy thoughts or some awesome thoughts and you can't go back to sleep. Well, um, during freedom, but then again, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, I just woke up and I took a picture of it on my phone, just so you know I wasn't lying. But I woke up at 3.33, and I, was, I looked at my phone. I'm like, why am I? And I was like awake. And so I, and immediately my thoughts were just flooded with, with you, 
with thoughts of you. And so I, I took a screenshot of my phone so you'd know, but I didn't get the 333 because I, I was too slow. I'm like, ah. But I was thinking about you, and I, I don't think it was just me thinking about you. I think God was, I think he woke me up, and I think he wanted to say something to me about you. And so I'm thinking, and I'm like, God, I'd really like to go back to sleep, but, you know, if you have something to say, I'm, you know, I'm, all, I'm all ears. And he started to impress a couple things upon me, and I want to share them with you. Um, he started to impress upon me that there are some, nothing short of supernatural um, similarities between you, this student ministry, right now, and Jesus' early disciples. Here's the first thing that I, I like, came to my mind. I was like, you know, when Jesus started with his disciples, he went and he gathered them up, and you guys know, they were, they were your age. All but, I think, one of them were in their teens. But either way, they were your age. They were students that changed the world that Jesus picked and said, I want those. And those students, um, Jesus didn't like just grab them and then say, go, go make disciples, go do it. Like he spent time with them, they spent time with each other, and he taught them what it means to be a disciple. And immediately I was like, that's all that we did this past fall, right? The Vineyard Initiative, our teaching series, which we do annually, is all about how to be a disciple. And I'm like, okay, cool, like we're, we're off to a good start. We got a solid foundation, Jesus and how to be a disciple. And I was really proud of you guys for how you went through the Vineyard Initiative. And then I started thinking, okay, well, what's, is there another similarity, like chronologically, in Jesus' ministry and his disciples and you? And the similarity that I came to was that when they were done learning how to be disciples, Jesus started empowering them to go and make disciples, not from a place of judgment, but a place of love. But once you know how to be a disciple, you are responsible. You are called to go and make disciples. Don't make the mistake that I made for the first many years of my ministry, not ministry, faith, relationship with God, of thinking I just need to keep and keep and keep getting poured into before I give back. As soon as you hear anything that's true, as soon as you own anything that's of the Lord, you have something to give. You can go and make a disciple to a degree. You can just start. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all down. You can just start. I know that Jesus died for my sins. He loves me, and I've been set free from death. You have something to talk about. Some of you have personal, awesome eyewitness accounts. You've got stuff to talk about. So Jesus started off by teaching his disciples how to be disciples. Check. You got that too. And then he said, go make disciples. And that's what we're all about as a student ministry, but as a church. The whole church, 5,000 people strong. We are all about making disciples. And you guys, you're not supposed to follow them. They're kind of supposed to follow you. You're the difference makers. God changes the world through teens, through students, through people that have the faith of children. And in this instance, it is not a bad thing to be a child in your faith. You guys have the ability to just know and believe things in such an awesome way. So how to be a disciple, check. Go make disciples. We're owning that, check. And then Jesus told his disciples something specific when he's leaving earth. He said, all right, I want you to gather together like He's, he's been crucified, he was in the ground, in the hole, and then three days later he rises again, and then he spent time, resurrected, with his disciples. So it was like 40 days. I'm looking at you, Cole. So about, he's like 40 days walking around, right? Like alive, brought back to life, and he's teaching them, and he's continuing to pour into them. But then he's leaving earth, and he says, all right, after I leave, I want you to go, and I want you to sit, and I want you to hang out and pray. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so they do that. They go and they sit and they wait and they pray and they're in the upper room 
and they're all hanging out, and they're waiting as they were instructed for the Holy Spirit to come. Do you guys know that that's basically what happened at Freedom? We all gathered together, and we said, we are coming together at a certain place in time, and we're not leaving until the Spirit shows up. And the cool thing was, like, he showed up, like, right away. We didn't have to wait at all. He just came. In power, the Spirit showed up. You guys felt it. You knew it. You know it. It was all weekend, and it's even here now. And we were even able to capture this ridiculous photo that has gone all over the world of, photo, show me the photo, um, of like just this snapshot of like, yeah, Jesus was there. And it's not about a picture. We're not here to work, oh my gosh, a picture, let's like offer things to it. No, it's just an example though of this truth. Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three gather together in my name, there I, that's not the right scripture, you guys. There I am also, where two or three gather. There's about 150 people here, so we have that covered. And when we gather together, Jesus is here. And I feel like he let us capture that shot as a reminder of that. Not, oh, remember freedom when we saw the picture? No, it's a reminder going forward. Whenever two or three or 150 gather together in God's name, he's with us. He's with us right now. So, how to be a disciple, go make disciples, and then wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You guys, he came, he's here, it's time to go. So what's the fourth similarity I thought of it? Four in the morning, by now. Um, Jesus then gave his disciples things to talk about. What did they do? They, the Spirit fell and they immediately ran out into the square and started talking about the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is real. He does awesome things. And boom, they start doing awesome things. They start performing miracles. And in that day alone, I think something like 5,000 people were like, man, that's legit. I want in. And then they went on from there. And Jesus blessed them with personal stories, personal testimonies, miracles they got to witness or be a part of. And as they just talked about him, they didn't like preach at people all the time. They just talked about this is what I saw God do. People came to faith. Every single one of you in this room has a story. Every single one of you had something happen at Freedom or something has happened to you this year or you know of something that's happened. You have a story to tell that will point people to Jesus, if not lead them to Jesus. I hope you're talking about it because Jesus gave us those stories for a reason. So there's four similarities in chronological order of Jesus' early disciples and you in this room. And then I'm like, is there a fifth one? Because I like, you know, five feels like a round number. And I, I realized, yeah, there's a fifth one. What happened at Pentecost and then on? Well, the book of Acts. The book of Acts started when the disciples went into the upper room, prayed, Holy Spirit came, miracles, people coming to faith, and then 28 chapters of just amazing things that drew people to Christ. And in one generation, the entire world was changed because those 12 students at the beginning, right? The book of Acts is all about a bunch of students putting their faith in action. And that's all we're charging you guys to do. And I think for us, how to be a disciple, how to make a disciple, gather together, wait for the Spirit, boom, we did, he came. Personal stories, you already got them. Now it's time for us to start writing our own book of Acts. Start recording what God is doing, talking about him, and just expect to see the supernatural. I think that's the natural Next chapter in your story is a student ministry. It's like, now's the time. It's not because we've earned it. God is just blessing you. He's blessing this ministry. So, like, own it. Run with it. Let's go. So, if that's the case, 
If that's where we are, so how do we change the world? How do we live out our own book of Acts? Well, I think it was right there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now you may show the scripture. Um, This is Jesus' last statement to the disciples before he sends into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit. This is the last thing he said on earth. So you think it's probably a little important. Yes, it is. This is called the Great Commission. You should know it. If you don't, learn it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a pretty big statement. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is how we need to live if we want to see the book of Acts become real for us, if we want to see the miraculous happen. We need to go and make disciples with all the authority of Jesus to all the nations, teaching all the commands and remembering that he is with us always. I thought a lot about the language, this language of all, always, these um, words that are beyond the human scope. No human has the right to say always or never of really anything because we're finite creatures. We're here today and gone tomorrow. But here's Jesus saying, I've got it all and I'm sharing it with you. But not only do I feel and challenge that we have the right, I don't think we do, to say always of stuff. Oh, I always watch that show. Do you? Because there's only seven seasons, so how can you always watch it? There's just, we don't have a right to use that. I don't even know that we have the right to say mine. This is my rock. Well, I'm going to die, and the rock's still going to be here. I didn't make the rock, so really, is it mine? This is my stage. No, I'm blessed to be here. I'm called to be here, and for a season, whether it's all my life or just a year, this isn't my stage. This isn't my room. Those aren't your clothes. You might have bought them, but you're not taking them with you. We don't have the right to say always, forever, never, and even mine. So to illustrate this, I'm going to read you guys a passage from a book called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever read The Screwtape Letters? Um, it's an amazing read. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's written by C.S. Lewis, but it's a little dark and twisty. So I'm not saying go read it, because if you're not grounded, it can mess you up a little bit. Here's why. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and all that jazz. C.S. Lewis, profoundly devoted man of the Lord, wrote hundreds of books, I'm pretty sure, 150 maybe. Um, best friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, led J.R.R. Tolkien to faith, and so we have The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Thanks for that. Um, but... C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's basically this series of letters written by a senior demon to a junior demon, and the senior demon is teaching the junior demon how to tempt a person away from God or to tempt them into sin. The senior demon is teaching the junior demon how to keep man and God apart, and really he can only influence man. But you read this, and you read the instructions, and you read how the enemy tempts us, and you're like, man, that's exactly what I experience. Man, that is so true. I read this the first time I read it, and was like, that's like this dude has a crazy insight into how the enemy works. And here's how vested he was in the book. This was one of his most popular books, and when he was done, everybody's like, write another one. And he's like, heck No. I will never write another one. Why not? It's amazing. You'll make a ton of money. 
Because in order to write that book, I had to get myself into the mind of what it's like to be a liar all the time, of what it's like to be deceptive, of what it's like to hate, and I just can't go there again. So enjoy the book, but that's all I can offer you. That's a profound thing to say. I mean, an author writes books to make money and sell books, and they're like, this will sell, and he's like, I can't do it. It hurt too much writing that book. But there are some profound things in it. And I want to read you a chapter, chapter 21, just a few words. This is high and lofty language, like this is this British professor, so just hang with the language. But listen to this. This is profound. I'm going to drink some water. That's not profound. It's a little profound. All right. This is senior demon counseling junior demon about a specific topic. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. And we, the demons, must keep them doing so. Doing what? Making claims of ownership. Much of the modern resistance to chastity and purity comes from mankind's belief that they own their bodies. Those vast and perilous estates pulsating with the energy that made the worlds. You know that that energy is in you? That's incredible. It is as if a royal child, little prince or princess, whom their father has placed in temporary command of some great province should come to believe that they actually own the cities, the forests, and the fruit of the land that has been lent to them. In the same way that a toddler might believe that he actually owns the bricks on the nursery floor. It is we demons that produce this sense of ownership, and not only by encouraging pride, but ignorance and confusion. For even in the nursery, a child can be taught to believe, my puppy dog, right? Bring a dog into a nursery, this is for you, Timmy, mine, you know what that's like, that's my dog. And not only in the sense of my dog that I received as a gift, but also in the sense of my puppy that I can pull to pieces if I choose to. You ever seen a kid with a dog? I mean, they just yank on their ears, they punch them, they lay on them thinking, you know, oh, this is just like a teddy bear. It's mine. It's not. It's a dog. We, I'm sorry, too early, and at the other end of the scale, we, the demons, have also taught men to say in the same vein, my God, in a sense not really very different from my puppy. Don't we think of God? Oh, this is my God. This is who my God is. Really? Because I'm pretty sure God is the God of the Bible and he's way bigger than you and what you think of. We have taught mankind to believe that it is safe to settle for this. Well, if this is all the knowledge that I have of God, then this is all I need to know about him. Or, well, if this is all that I choose to believe about God, then that's all he is. 
That's destructive. That's limiting. And all the while, the joke we are actually playing on people is that the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, can even be uttered by a human about anything. Because ultimately, based upon how these humans, us, choose to live their lives, it is only God or Satan who will ever be able to say mine about any of them. So never fear, my friend, for sooner or later these willful creatures will find out to whom their time, their bodies, and their souls really belong, and it is certainly not to themselves. That's some deep talk right there. But does that resonate with you guys? Does that sound true to you? Because it sounds pretty true to me. The fact that any of us are good at anything, that's a gift. Anybody have a talent? Anybody got a skill? You, th- you think you earned that? Like, I'm not talking like you've grown good at something because you practice. Like you're just naturally fast or naturally good at math or not. Or naturally good at this, that, or the other. Do you think you earned that? No, you're born with it. And why? Because God gave it to you. It's a gift. Anybody in here have a body? Anybody? Anybody? Couple of you? Couple? Questionable. You guys, you got a body? You think you own that? You think you earn that? No, it's a gift. Anybody in here have salvation? Anybody ever prayed, Jesus, I need a rescuer. I need a salvation. I, I, I cannot conquer sin on my own. I desperately need You ever prayed anything like that? You ever been set free from sin and death? You know that you've been saved. You think you earned that? No, it's the free gift that is available to anyone that asks Jesus to be their savior. You ever been loved by anyone. You didn't earn that, otherwise it wouldn't be love. You ever loved someone? You guys, it's all gift. Your whole life is a gift. You got breath in your lungs right now? It's a gift. The water I drank, gift. It's all gift. We didn't earn any of it. It doesn't belong to us. And God forgive us if we use the gifts that he gives to satisfy our own selfish desires, because he gives us gifts for a purpose, and that purpose is found in Matthew 28. So if we take what Jesus shares with us, and we use it for his glory, not ours, for his pleasure, not just ours, then we do have a right to say mine, and only in that realm do we have a right to say mine, when we take what God gives us and we use it to glorify him, to exalt him, to make him known. Let's go back to Matthew 28 and let's look at some of the language there. Jesus declared, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's look at some examples of what obeyed Jesus while he was on earth. Did Jesus ever tell nature to do things and it did it? Didn't he calm the storm? Didn't he say, live, tree, or die, plant, and it happened? So all authority, Jesus has power over nature itself. Do you have power over nature? I can plant something, but it's going to die, especially at my house. You should see our plants. No offense, honey. I know you're doing better. You're really good. You're really good. She, she's a plant murderer. Don't give her plants. Um, what about demons? Did Jesus ever say, be gone, go away, leave, pigs, right? Does he have control over the spiritual realm? Absolutely he does. Did he ever walk up to somebody 
and say, you're forgiven or you're healed. Yes, he has the power over sin and death and disease. He's been given all authority. And because Jesus has been given all authority and he's empowering us with purpose, we have access. We can claim some ownership of all authority. Jesus is your savior and you're looking to glorify him and serve him and make disciples, you can do anything. You can do anything in Christ. You look at the miracles of Jesus' life, do you know that he said, you will do greater things than I have done? You look at the miracles of Jesus and you're like, oh, no way. He not only says yes way, he says more than way. You know what I'm saying. Jesus has been given all authority and he's like, I want to share it with you. I'm going to give it to you if you use it for my glory. So that's incredible. You in this room have access to all authority. Are you getting beat up by sin? Are you getting beat up by circumstances or fear? Do you know that you have access to all authority? Authority over fear? Use it. Exercise it. Own it. Ask God, how can I exercise all authority? What about the second part? Therefore, because I've given you all authority, therefore go and make disciples of some of the nations? Of Conroe? No, of all the nations. Not just some, but all. Anyone, everyone is who we need to be having our eyes on. Not just this one, but all of them. And I think there's something else implicit in this. If Jesus said, I've been given all authority, and Jesus said, go to all the nations, here's what I think of. From your earliest memory, or maybe just this year, do you have a longing to go somewhere really specific? I always wanted to go to Australia. I just had a longing to go there. I haven't been able to go yet, but I will, God willing, go to Australia and meet an Aborigine and check out some koalas and maybe watch some kangaroos fight. But also, I'll take God with me. And in some way, shape, or form, I will share Jesus. I will make disciples. I will go to Australia. And I feel like it was God that put that on my heart. When I was a younger man, it was Turkey that God put on my heart. And I have been there multiple times. And there's just something special about when I go to Turkey, which is where I feel like God has called me, and I just do ministry in a way that I can't even explain. Do you have a place that just your heart beats for it? Not a rhetorical question. Do you have a place that you would just love to go that you have a longing for? What do you got? New Zealand. <laughs> What's happening? Take me with you. A&M. A&M. Absolutely. Kind of a special nation all to themselves. What do you got? Africa. Africa. Bali. Bali. Russia, absolutely. Somebody said Russia that was in like that same seat last service. What do you got? California. California. Somebody said California right there last service too. Julie Jean. Italy. Nice. Colombia. Sweden. Italy. Austin. Austin needs some. All those places need Jesus. Too slow, Camden. Where do you want to go? Liberia. Love me some Liberia. You guys... If you feel called to those places, I would challenge you today to pray about, God, do you want me to go there? Is, is the reason that I resonate with that place because you're calling me there? Because if he's calling you there and he's giving you authority and he said to go to all nations, he's going to get you there. And when you get there, you will find that you will be so empowered to live out the power of the gospel in a way you can't even comprehend. Like, you guys, he didn't say stay and make disciples. He said go. It's not about saying come to church. It's about taking church to them. Go and make disciples knowing you have access to all authority and go all over the place. If every single one of you had your country in mind and you went 
like this year, when you graduate, whatever, to share Jesus, you would change the world in your generation. There's 150 people here. Jesus only had 12. What else does it say? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Some of the commands, the easy commands, just the Ten Commandments? No, all of them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. Now, if you're going to teach something, you need to know it. And there are, I wager, many of us in here that don't know a whole lot about the Bible, that don't know a whole lot of the commands. You guys, do you know you are not called to be students of this word, of this book? You are called to be experts. Don't settle for only coming here once a, um, a week and let me spoon feed you. You should be pressing into this book. You should be owning these words. You should be writing them on your mirror and, well, on your flesh. You guys like the tattoo thing. I'm not endorsing it, but like put God's word everywhere and become an expert in what this book says. Because if you're called to teach it, you certainly need to know it. And even more, you better be obeying it. There is nothing more hypocritical, more damaging to the gospel to go out and speak a word of truth from the Bible and yet refuse to live it. I was talking with a student right before this service and grown up in church but just sees all these church people. They're saying this, but they're doing that, and this girl doesn't even know she believes in God anymore because it's just like hypocrites. Don't be hypocrites. I don't think you are hypocrites, but don't go there. If you're teaching it, if you're sharing it, do it. In fact, do it first. God says, love your neighbor. Don't go and yell from the rooftops to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and then teach it. Bible says, don't gossip. Don't go tell everybody not to gossip. Stop gossiping and then talk about it. I can't believe we're running so short on time. All right. Last one. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, are you with me when I'm good? Yes. You with me when I'm bad? Yes. Are you with me when I'm sad, happy, depressed, ecstatic? Yes, 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 yes. You guys, anybody in here ever feel just alone, invisible, like nobody would even notice if you disappeared? You need to know that God said, I am with you, not some of the time, but all the time. When you feel you're most alone, Jesus is totally there with you. When you feel you're most alone, I almost wager that's a good thing. Because there's no one else to distract you from just saying, Jesus, I hurt, I need. Would you just open my eyes, open my heart, speak a word? One of the most alone feelings of my life. I'm in my room. It's one of those three in the morning situations. I can't sleep, but I ain't happy. I'm sad. And I'm just like, my life is horrible. I don't even know if I want to be alive. I just don't even know if I want to be here. Nobody loves me. And in the midst of that, audibly, I just hear in the room, Justin, I just heard my name, and God might show up for you in a variety of ways, but for me, it was that way. All I heard was my name, and I was filled with so much hope and joy in that moment. It was like God was like, I see you. I know your name. You're not alone, and that moment, that simple, brief little miracle changed my life. I'm like, I'm not alone. You are not alone. Jesus is with you always. He has endorsed you to utilize all authority, to go to all nations, teaching, obeying, etc., all of what's in here, and he's with you. Even to the end of the age, when they start lopping our heads off and killing us for our faith, he's like, oh, I'm not with you then. No, he's with us till the end of the age. You guys should be fired up about that. You can do anything 
because he's with you. Absolutely. You can clap. I would clap. All right. I have been using this language, and so is our senior pastor, of what it means to be all in for Jesus. And we're just going to wrap up by pressing in. What does it really mean to be all in? Um, To be all in is to be all in for this. This is the Great Commission. This is your mission, your purpose. It's why you're alive, to go and make disciples. And there's a million ways to do it. You have your own special way God wired you to do it. But you need to be all in. You guys know the Super Bowl is coming up in one week. The Broncos, the Broncos and the Panthers, right? Go Broncos. So here is a picture of the Broncos training facility, and look at that place, multi-million dollar place. There's a field over there, and I just want to draw a couple similarities between these two things. That training facility and this place, our training facility. Does that place have a player's manual? Yes, they do. They, They don't know what to do. They don't know how to play unless they read that thing and live it. We have a player's manual too. We're just like them. Training facility, preparing for the big game. Does that place have workout equipment? Yes, it does. Stuff I don't even know how to use and will probably hurt me. Do we have workout equipment? Yes, we do. DBS guides to teach you how to read the word and know it and teach it. Serving opportunities to put feet on your faith. Does that place have coaches and people that will pour into younger minds and younger players? Yes, they do. Do we have that? Yes, we do. You got pastors. You got adult leaders. You got your small group leaders. Does that place have special teams where they just get alone together and they just talk about their thing? Yes, they do. Do we? Absolutely. We got small groups. We got cafe team, serving team, worship team, tech team. We're just like them. Does that place have a practice field? Yes, it does. Not that little thing, but outside of the picture, but they got this monster um, field and they practice there. And we do too. Our practice field is this place. It's the student ministry. And I want to talk to you about that for just a second. I just want to go ahead and prepare you. We're going to go five minutes long today. Tough. You have a practice field to put all that God calls you to into action, to test it, to figure it out. It is this place. It is your small group. It is your home group. It is church. And you have to practice. The Broncos are in there probably right this minute. They are preparing. They are giving all of themselves to getting ready for that game. They are using all of that equipment. They are using all the resources they have available because the Super Bowl is coming and they want to win. Your Super Bowl is coming and you need to be ready. And here's what I want to challenge you. This is subtext for this message, but I feel really passionate about saying it. You know how to live according to the word. You know you're not supposed to gossip. You know you're supposed to be quick to forgive, slow to anger. You need to be slow to anger and quick to forgive in this place in a big way. I hear about all kinds of stuff, and I hear about she's upset, he's angry, they're not talking to me. You guys, those are opportunities to test how this book says to handle conflict, and don't miss that opportunity. We should be so good at loving each other in this place that it draws people to us. It draws people to Jesus. It makes people say, I want that. And we are not going to be good at it if we handle conflict the way that everybody else does. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to unfriend them. I'm just going to not talk to them. I'm just going to sit over here now, and they're going to sit over there. It is not acceptable in this place, not because of me, but because of God. And when you have conflict, it's an opportunity to figure out how to practice handling it the right way. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay not to be perfect. But don't shy away from it. If you've got a problem with somebody in this room, figure it out. Ask for help. Practice. Be quick to forgive. Slow to anger. All right. 
I see so much potential in this room, you guys. I, I look out, you, you are the most passionate, committed student followers of Jesus I've ever had the privilege to be in front of. I don't take any credit for that. Seven years of student ministry, you guys are the bomb. You're incredible. And God, he's just deciding to bless us. Let's own those blessings and use them to change the world in our generation. Don't wait for your parents. Don't wait for me. Just go do it. Be all in. You guys can take the stage, Dwight. We're going to prepare to respond. I just want to encourage you to, have, to just kind of own and acknowledge what a special community this is and how much God is blessing you. Do you know that in the last couple of weeks, I've had people from other countries, other churches, other student ministries come up and they're like, I don't understand why those students worship the way they do, why they love each other the way they do, why they own their faith the way they do. And you know what? I'll be honest, I don't either. I don't understand you guys. You're an enigma to me. You freak me out. You are so awesome. You are so good at loving each other and others. But we got room to grow. And I want us to be not just good at it, but all in. Here's how we're going to respond today. You got tithe? You got an allowance? You got a job? Tithe. It's good for you. You got the communion, acknowledging Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me, for allowing your body to be broken, allowing your blood to be spilt so that I can be saved, so that I can be loved and learn how to love. Take communion with glad, thankful hearts that Jesus died for you and set you free so you could live out the Great Commission. Here's the final way we're going to respond today. So, you know, it's kind of an altar. This is our altar, right? And I love it when you guys come up here and worship and just throw your face down. But here's the border of our altar. I took it off today with some help from Dwight. And you remember at the beginning of the year, we wrote out what we felt like God was saying to us for the year. I'd encourage you guys to like read these things. Remind yourselves of what God is calling you to do. But today, we pulled it off so you could have easier access. I want to fill the front of this thing up with your declarations of all in. Yeah, I'm all in for you, Jesus. But I do not want you to just bum rush this thing and come and write on it. I want you to consider what it means to be all in. If you go up there and write it, it's not just putting marker to wood. You're declaring. It's an act of faith. Jesus, I'm all in. Whatever you want from me, whatever you have from me, I'm all in. I'm available. That's a big deal. So treat it like one. Let's pray and then respond as you feel led. Bow your heads. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.